If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org. My name is Brandon Hayes. I'm the college and young adult pastor here at Southcrest. And uh, Pastor David actually, so that was true last week. He had that conference, but then um, he also, he and Laura were helping uh, Josh and Becca. Y'all know Josh is going to be in concert here next Sunday. Is that right? Pretty awesome. But they're helping them uh, with their kiddo, Asher, while they're serving at a marriage conference. So he's away today, but we'll be back uh, Wednesday night and next Sunday. So we look forward to him being back. So in the meantime, you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. All right. (laughs) Hey, we're going to have a great time. Hey, you're kind. (laughs) Hey, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 1. And if you need help finding that, no worries. Just uh, if you can get to the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts is where we're going to be. And we're going to start in chapter 1 here in a few moments and kind of cover quite a bit of territory today in Acts 1 and 2. And again, grateful to be with you all and appreciate Pastor David um, giving me the opportunity. So one thing that I really do find intriguing and interesting is, uh, enjoy reading about, is how an organization or a person or even like a musician can, can start off with really humble odds against them roots and beginnings and grow into something powerful, right? Maybe something that the organization is just really successful or maybe it has a, a, a reach that expands around the globe, or it's just kind of changed things for all of society. That, that's interesting to me. So on a very simple uh, note for an example of that is, though we don't like to think about it, is the University of Alabama when it comes to football. I know we're tech fans here. Um, by the way, one of my buddies, uh, Andre, he's been trying, he's got a petition going around uh, to get Nick Saban to come coach uh, the Red Raiders. I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen, man. Um, anyways, we got us a good new coach. But anyways, uh, Alabama, Crimson Tide, year after year, though they didn't win this year, year after year, they're pretty dominant, right? If you keep up with college football, you know that Alabama, then every year they're at least in the playoffs or the championship. They're just, they're just really, really good. Now, what's interesting to me about that is the University of Alabama is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, I have a lot of family from Alabama. My, my mom's parents grew up in Alabama. And y'all, there's not much in Alabama. (laughs) It's kind of the middle of nowhere. So it's impressive to me that they can build really an empire, a nation dominating college football team in the middle of nowhere. That's impressive. Really, it's interesting. Um, Another example, we'll go to music. Uh, Don't act like you don't know him just because you're in church, but Bruno Mars, okay? Uh, Bruno Mars is pretty successful. And it's interesting in 2003, he was actually dropped by Motown Records. Now, if you don't know about, much about Bruno Mars, he's, he actually um, was the halftime entertainment for the Super Bowl, I think two or three years ago. I mean, he's one of the most famous artists of all time. And he was actually at one point dropped by a label. And now, like, so how does he go from being dropped to like being world famous? Or a little closer to home, uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but last Sunday, February 3rd, was the 60th anniversary of the death of Buddy Holly. 
Now, it's interesting to me, um, obviously I wasn't alive when his music was popular, but it's interesting to me how a man that really only lived, I think it was he 22 or 23 when he died, somewhere right in there. Um, a man can live that short of a time period, grow up, and I know we love Lubbock, but grow up in humble Lubbock and get to number 13 on Rolling Stone's 100 Greatest Artists list. How does he do that? That's impressive. I think about the company Apple. A lot of y'all have an iPhone with you. Maybe you have, I have an iPad up here on stage with me. Um, Apple began with two guys, both named Steve, who had, who had the idea that, you know what? Computers don't just have to be for organizations and companies. They can be for personal use. So they, they kind of coined this phrase, a computer for the rest of us. That was what drove the beginning of, of, their, uh, of their company, their idea of, hey, we're gonna create a, co- uh, excuse me, a computer that is user-friendly. And we all said, amen, right? Um, and with that simple idea, they created a small little company that has now, in a sense, reached around, not in a sense, in reality, has reached around the world. I remember my wife and I were in Togo, Africa. We talk about middle of nowhere. That's the middle of nowhere. In Togo, Africa, I pulled out my iPhone and a little uh, Togo boy said, oh, Steve Jobs. (laughs) And I was like, which he helped found Apple. It's amazing. As of 2012, they had a worldwide annual revenue of $158 billion dollars. How in the world do you take something from this small little idea and grow it into something that is, that turns the world upside down? Now, as impressive as as those examples are, even more impressive, secular historians and Christian historians would have to agree, even more impressive is the spread of the Jesus movement of Christianity. Think about this. You talk about an organization, if you will, that started with nothing and humble roots. Jesus was a poor, essentially homeless, humble Jewish carpenter who at the end of his ministry was not just betrayed by those closest to him. They also scattered and he was crucified. You don't typically look at a movement like that and say, that's a great start. (laughs) Beyond that, his closest Companions, the disciples, many of them were professional fishermen. Now look, y'all, I'm from Florida, nothing wrong. I grew up in Florida, Texas now, amen. Anyways, nothing wrong with fishing, but typically professional fishermen aren't the ones who graduate with most likely to succeed. You know what I'm saying? They're just like, I just want to catch some catfish, bro. Like they're not normally the most likely to succeed. And yet with who Jesus was in his humble beginning and that crew, here we are with a room full of people 2,000 years later on the other side of the world talking about Jesus. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) How did he do it? John Ortberg, he's a professor, excuse me, not a professor. He's a uh, pastor and a writer. He had wrote a book called, Who Is This Man? Incredible book. If you're not a believer, I think it would maybe help you consider the undeniable impact of Jesus and just think about considering Jesus. And if you are a Christian, I think it'll help root you in who Jesus was and I would say is. And here's what John Ortberg wrote in that book. Unlike almost all companies, organizations, and people, Jesus's impact was greater 100 years after his death than during his life. It was greater still after 500 years. After a thousand years, his legacy laid the foundation for much of Europe. 
After 2,000 years, he has more followers in more places than ever. Yo historian Pelican wrote, Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of the history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, how much would be left? If any group ever had all the odds stacked against it, but overcame all of them and grew into something incredible, it's Christianity. It's the movement of Jesus. How in the world did it happen? Well, the book of Acts gives us that story. And it is awesome. (laughs) See, the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Now, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, which tells us the story of Jesus, what he did, who he was on earth. And then Acts is the story of what happened with the, the first followers of Jesus once Jesus left. So Acts is like the sequel. It's part two to Luke. And what you need to know about Luke, he was um, a Gentile. He was not a Jew, but he, he feared God. And he eventually encountered some Jesus followers. They told him the story of Jesus and he became what we call a Christian. He became a Jesus follower because Jesus changed everything for him. Luke was a physician. He was a writer. He re- really became a missionary for the gospel. And he wrote Luke and Acts so that we could really all of history and including us could know the story of Jesus. And not just that, but we could have confidence in the story of Jesus. And again, here's the, here's the thing for Luke. He knew that the story of Jesus has the power to change every other story. That's why I wrote Luke and Acts. So it's interesting after Luke tells us in the end of his gospel, Luke and the beginning of Acts, he tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, which was a pretty epic begin to the continuance of his movement, right? Pretty epic, rise from the dead. After he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days with his followers, his disciples, talking to them about the kingdom of God and about the coming Holy Spirit who he had promised. Now, where we're gonna pick up in Acts chapter one, verse six, we're gonna set the scene a little bit. This is an epic moment, or was an epic moment. Jesus and his followers, small little group, They're standing on the Mount of Olives, which if you've been to Israel, super cool. If if you haven't, you can still look it up. If you go to the Mount of Olives, it kind of, in a sense, looks down on across from the old city of Jerusalem, what would have been the temple at that time. So they're standing on the Mount of Olives, spent all this time with Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And the disciples start going, you know what? We're small, but with Jesus, we can do some big things. (laughs) I mean, like, we're a force to be reckoned with. This dude, Jesus, he can walk through walls. And apparently, if you kill him, he just gets back up three days later. <laughs> like, with this guy, we could do some big things. Now, here's what we have to know about their mindset. They, the, the Jews at the time had been over and over again conquered and dominated and ruled by other countries. So they had this hope of, man, the Messiah, he's gonna bring Israel number one again, right? We're gonna be number one again. We're gonna dominate. This is gonna be awesome. And with Jesus, man, we can make this happen. So they asked the question in verse six, if you'll join me there. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're saying, 
Jesus, is it time now? We get, man, you can see them like, Peter, this is gonna be awesome. We're about to overthrow Rome. We're about to be back on top. No more oppression for us. No more being bossed around for us. We're about to be number one. We've had enough. Jesus, is it time? Is Israel about to be great again? And look at the response of Jesus. (laughs) Verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. (laughs) Now, let me tell you what Jesus was not doing. He was not doing what some of our students like to say. He wasn't Jesus juking. He wasn't dodging their question, like trying to sound spiritual, no. No, see, their question reveals that they, they were getting who Jesus was, right? He rose from the dead. They're getting who he is, but they did not quite understand the magnitude of his mission, of what he was about. See, Jesus was not on Amiga tour, a Make Israel Great Again tour, right? No, he had so, something so much bigger in mind. What he was gonna do was not just bring hope and restora- restoration to Israel, but to the what? To the world. And we should be grateful for that, amen? <laughs> Man, it was so much bigger than just Israel. So he says, hey, look, yes, my purpose and my um, mission of providing salvation is complete. But he told them, your work, your mission, your purpose of taking the good news of Jesus, of the gospel, of the salvation to the world is not done. Actually, it was just beginning. Now, here's what I want us to see. What Jesus told the disciples then He really says to us today, what began with them is to continue with us today. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read verse eight one more time and then we're gonna see two simple but significant truths from this passage. Verse eight again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's the first thing we see. We got it on the screen for you to help you out a little bit. As a Christian, my purpose is to take the good news of Jesus to the world. I'll say it again. We'll get it up on the screen. As a Christian, my purpose is to take the good news of Jesus to the world. That's my purpose. Amen. Notice he says, you will be my witnesses. A witness is someone who says, hey, this is what I've seen and this is what what I know to be true. This is what I've experienced. So a witness is not, he he didn't say you will be my theologians, right? He didn't say you will be my apologists, defenders of the faith, though we should do that. He didn't say you will be uh, the best Christian philosophers who will trample down anyone who tries to raise an argument against Christianity. No, it's very simple. He said, you're gonna be my witnesses. It means we are to be people who in everyday ordinary situations are willing to say, you know what? Here's what I've seen about Jesus and he's really, really good. <laughs> he's been a hope for me when everything was hopeless. He's lighted my, lit my path when I didn't know which way to go. He's been a rock, a firm foundation for me when everything else in my life was falling apart. Man, even when life was tough and I've had family members in the hospital room and things didn't make sense, man, he's been a comfort for me. He's brought me peace. And 
you know, more than anything, he's provided me salvation. He forgave me of all the wrong I've done and, and even will do and loves me. And because of that, he's given me a relationship with God. Yes, Jesus is really, really good. Y'all, this generation is in need of Christians who are willing to say, you know what? Not today, Satan. <laughs> I'm not gonna be distracted by my own sin. I'm not gonna be discouraged by my own shortcomings. I'm gonna embrace my purpose to be a witness and tell other people that Jesus is really, really good. That's what this world needs. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a great English preacher in the 1800s and he did not pull any punches. And let me prove that to you. <laughs> Love this quote. Actually, it, it punches me in the face, but I still love it. <laughs> he said, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. And I would say missionary, he doesn't mean like you have to move across the other side of the world and live in a village, but you're a missionary in that you're on mission as a witness. You with me? Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. That man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. It hurts, but he's right. If I say I love Jesus, but never talk about him, something's up. If I tell my wife, Lauren, that I love her, but none of you ever know that I'm married, something's up. Y'all, our purpose as Christians is to be a witness of the goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may say, hey, you know, I'm just like an elementary kid. I, I don't know if I can really do that on my own. Like, am I really allowed to do that on my own? Or you may say, hey, I'm just like kind of cruising through life. I've got my job. I just finished college. Like, I, I, I don't know if I can really handle that on my own because I'm still figuring out. Like, I still got debt to figure out, much less sharing the gospel. How am I going to do that on my own? Or maybe you're, you're getting up in age and you're saying, hey, I, I hear you, but like I... I don't know if I can do that on my own. I don't know if I can really connect with other people like I used to because I'm getting older. Well, here's the good thing. On your own, you may not be able to do that. <laughs> but you know what this verse tells us? You aren't alone. <laughs> here's the second point I want to make sure we get. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit empowers me to take the good news of Jesus to the world. Y'all, that's good news. <laughs> This is worth getting excited about. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit empowers me to take the good news of Jesus to the world. Now, I know we're Baptists, but hey, we're not afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right? So let's talk about a second, what the Holy Spirit does and what he, and what he is not and what he is. So first of all, the Holy Spirit empowers and equips me to glorify God in my life and to point other people to Jesus. Here's what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not this like gargoyle up in the corner of the room and when worship gets really good, he's like, let me come bless the people. Like that's not what he does, okay? The Holy Spirit is not this blob that floats the, through the room and you're like, I got a little teary eyed. I think the Holy Spirit touched me today. Like, no, it's not just warm fuzzies. The Holy Spirit is the living power of God, the resurrection power of God living inside of you. 
life-transforming, life-giving power. And I love what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. You don't have to write all of these down, but Jesus talked a lot about the Holy Spirit because he kept saying, hey, I'm gonna leave, but I'm gonna send someone in my place, the Holy Spirit. Again, you don't have to write all these down, but so we can keep going the right direction. Mark 13, 11, Luke 12, 12. Um, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would tell us what to speak. I love this. So Jesus told his followers, hey, you're gonna get in situations where people aren't gonna like that you're talking about me. He said, they hated me, they're, they're gonna hate you. You're gonna face situations where you're wanting to share the gospel and they oppose you. But he says, don't worry, in that moment, I will tell you what to say. And not, this is awesome, not like this little earpiece where he's like, the next word is, <laughs> no. But the Holy Spirit in you to give you the words to say and even how to say it. John 14, 26 says that he, the Holy Spirit is our comforter and that he reminds us of what Jesus said. Luke 4 says that he leads us. John 6, 63 says the Holy Spirit makes us alive to God. John 15, 26 says that he is our helper. John 16, 13 says he guides us into all truth. And I love it in the book of Acts, over and over again, we see that the Holy Spirit empowers believers to share the gospel boldly. I mean, it's incredible. If you flip through, not just flip through, if you read through Acts, over and over again, the disciples are in terrible situations, terrible opposition. And man, they speak with boldness because the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to do that. Y'all, I, I, I know it's easy, me included, to say, I, mean, I just don't know if I have like the right words to say to share with somebody. It's going to be awkward. I don't know if I have the right personality. I'm kind of shy. I'm kind of introverted. Here's the beauty of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can overcome and break through any and every shortcoming or bad personality trait that you may have. <laughs> He's bigger than you are. So you know, he really takes away our excuses for sharing the gospel, Right? because he's bigger than us. How did a little, tiny, weak group, little ragtag group of Jesus followers who really were just waiting to be pushed over into nothing, who were just waiting to be blown out as insignificant, how did they grow into a worldwide movement that we're standing here talking about today? It was because the Holy Spirit empowered them to embrace their identity as witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's how it happened. And how is it going to continue today? Is it, it's if we will embrace our identity as witnesses, or really I should say our purpose as witnesses of Jesus and believe the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. Now you may say, hey, man, I hear you. I see from scripture like, we're supposed to be witnesses. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. I get all that, but I ain't got a clue how to do it. <laughs> like, I don't know where to begin. And I would say, hey, I feel you. Like, I understand that. I get that. I think I still feel that way sometimes. So what I want to do quickly is give you four simple things that I think are helpful in beginning to be a spirit-empowered witness for Christ. So if I was writing this down, here's how I might would say, uh, uh, title this, or this next little section is, Four ways to be a spirit-empowered witness for Christ. And what I'm going to do with these four quick things I'm going to give you. First of all, they're not a magic bullet. This is not like 
do these four things and you'll be a perfect witness. That's what cults do, okay? We're not a cult. These are four simple ways to share the gospel I think are gonna be hopefully helpful. What I've done is use, I'm using an acronym with the word ACTS, okay? An acronym with the word ACTS to hopefully help us remember it. So let's get into the first one. This will be on the screen. And that is A, ask God to make you a bold witness who sees opportunities for the gospel. Ask God to make you a bold witness who sees opportunities for the gospel. We had the opportunity back in December to go to uh, Vancouver with the college students and young adults from the journey. And uh, when we came back, I was very convicted that I needed to be more intentional about sharing the gospel with people that I, that I here in Lubbock and more on a consistent basis. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table and kind of feeling like, Lord, I, you know, I work with Christians all the time. I'm, I'm at the church a lot. Like, I don't know if I know that many people to share the gospel. Could you, could you help open my eyes to that? And I really do remember this very clearly. Almost immediately as I kept praying, the Lord started bringing people to mind. <laughs> people that I really see pretty regularly or maybe like even encounter as I'm going to run errands or whatever. And God started bringing people to mind that I could share the gospel with. I'm pretty, I feel very confident that if you ask God to show you people to share the gospel with, that's a prayer request he'll say yes to, amen? <laughs> he wants to do that. You just gotta ask him, Lord, please show me. Those opportunities are there. We often just don't see them because we're in too big a hurry, right? Leads us to the second thing. So we have A, ask God. Then C is care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. Care about others and treat them as more important than yourself. Y'all, I love this. This is a small shift that has huge impact. So I don't know if y'all are like me, but I tend, when I think about sharing the gospel, being a witness for Jesus, um, I tend to think of it as like this presentation I have to do. Like, all right, here we go. I'm gonna encounter them. I'm gonna talk to them. And I'm just gonna lay it on them. I'm gonna share the gospel. Here we go. Well, the problem, the problem with that is one, it's totally self-centered. And two, I psych myself out every time. Anybody else been there before? Here's the cool thing with this shift is the focus is not, I have this presentation. No, no the focus is, hey, I'm gonna go have a conversation with somebody <laughs> and I'm gonna actually care about who they are and what they're going through. We, uh, when we were in Vancouver, one day we were at the University of British Columbia and Levi Fair, one of our students and I, we were all out getting to share the gospel, but he and I were together and we were walking and we saw this girl uh, sitting on a bench with her uh, headphones in made by Apple, by the way. Anyways, she's sitting in there with her headphones in, just staring off like blankly into space. And we're like, she looks like she could use some encouragement. So we went over there and kind of got her attention. And uh, she started laughing, took her headphones out. We're like, hey, is everything okay? She said, yeah, I just took a physics exam and I'm just sitting here in despair. <laughs> and so we, we got to talking a little bit. Just leave. I did a great job of asking her story, how long she lived in Vancouver, all those sorts of things. And we, we talked with her probably, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, just getting to know her. And then we, we realized, hey, we have an opportunity to take the conversation a little further. So I just said, hey, we're Christians. Do you, do you know anything about Jesus, about Christianity? And she literally said, you know, I really don't, but I always wish somebody would tell me about Jesus, about Christianity. So we said, one day, two lucky guys are gonna get to share the gospel. No, <laughs> of course not. We were like, we would love to do that, right? But almost, it was like, we almost want to be like, are you sure? This is too easy. Like, that doesn't always go that way, but let me tell you what happened. By God's grace, we just simply cared about her 
And she was open to having a conversation, right? Craig O'Brien, one of our friends in Vancouver, he says, it's the 2020 rule. You talk for 20 seconds and you listen for 20 minutes. When you do that, oftentimes they'll go ahead and open the door for you to talk about Jesus. <laughs> but you got to care about him. That leads, we'll go ahead and go for the second time to the next one to T, and that is take any opportunity to ask why they believe what they believe, to pray for them, or share about Jesus. Take the opportunity. So uh, that maybe they say something interesting or something that you don't believe in, rather than saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in that, which actually don't, it's probably not helpful. You could say instead, because you care about them, you could take the opportunity to say, wow, that is really interesting. Could you tell me more why you believe that? Why you think that way? I'm curious. Take the opportunity to ask. Take the opportunity to say, hey, Jesus loves you. I tried this yesterday. I was getting some groceries, tried engaging in conversation with a guy. Didn't go real well. So I finished. I just took the opportunity to say, hey, man, Jesus loves you. And to be honest, he didn't pay a whole lot of attention. But you know what I did? It's what my friend Victor calls, I put a rock in his shoe. <laughs> when you get a rock in your shoe, you take a few steps on what you got to do. You got to stop and take, you got to deal with it, right? You got to take care of it. Victor taught me, that, hey, taught our group really that, hey, sometimes you just put a little rock in their shoe. So maybe they're going throughout their day and they're like, why did that guy say Jesus loves me? I don't know. And then maybe someone else has a conversation. Who knows what God's going to do? I love what Danny Henderson, our family pastor, does to take the opportunity. He realizes that every time he's out at a restaurant, he has an opportunity to pray for someone and maybe meet their needs. So when the, before he prays for the meal, he'll ask the waiter or waitress, hey, I'm, we're going to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about? So sometimes they don't really say much, but then oftentimes they'll come back a few minutes later with sometimes with the tears in their eyes and say, hey, actually, I'm really struggling with this. Could you pray for me? <laughs> How cool is that? And in that moment, he gets to talk about the love of Jesus. He takes the opportunity. Now this, this last one, the S, kind of closely ties to the T, but it's because I think all of us need a little kick in the rear end sometime. And that is stop obsessing and start obeying. So often we hear, we think about taking the opportunity and we're like, I should take it, I should take it. And then we just, we're like, well, before I take this opportunity to share the gospel or pray or whatever, I should think about the right strategy to reach this person, right? So we're thinking, man, should I walk over there quickly? What should I begin with? And after 20 minutes, the person has left, right? Stop obsessing and analyzing how to do it perfectly and just obey, right? The Holy Spirit prompts, hey, I'm gonna go introduce myself. I have no idea what's gonna happen, but why, but why not? Stop obsessing and start obeying. And hey, we don't have to obsess about how to do it perfectly because who's gonna help us? The Holy Spirit, right? He's empowered us. One last quick story to help describe that. Uh, one of our college students, Jessica Ebert, um, she was in class, I think it's uh, in the fall semester, in class and felt like the Holy Spirit kind of tapped her on the shoulder, prompted her, to go introduce herself to this girl in the class. And she thought, Lord, like, why? That's just weird. Like, what's the purpose? Didn't really know. But she decided to take the opportunity and not obsess, but to obey. So after class, she went over to this young lady who God had kind of pointed out to her. And, um, and she was genuine in asking this question, but she said, hey, I missed uh, some of the notes from the professor. Could you, could you get me those? And the girl was kind of like, uh, sure. Why are you asking me anyways? So gave the notes and then Jessica afterwards said, hey, by the way, I'm Jessica, nice to meet you. She walked away and was like, Lord, what was that about? Like, what was the purpose of that? Well, a few days later, she was uh, 
at the sub, the student union building at Tech on the third floor and saw the girl again. And again, felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudge her over there. Here we go again, God. (laughs) So she didn't obsess. She just obeyed. She went over there and began to have a conversation. She was caring and talking talking to this girl, asking questions, kind of applying the 2020 principle. And in the conversation, this other girl told Jessica that she was a Muslim um, and kind of just was asking why she's studying what she's studying and what she wants to do with her life. So then kind of naturally in conversation, the girl asked Jessica, well, hey, why, why are you studying what you're studying? What are, what are you wanting to do? So Jessica got to share the gospel with this girl. Got to say, hey, I'm going into this degree plan because I feel like God has called me to do this. And here's why I want to follow God with all my life because Jesus has changed everything for me. Man, when you stop obsessing and start obeying, really amazing things happen. So cool. If you read the rest of the story, (laughs) verse nine, it says, again, Jesus says, hey, you're gonna be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's gonna come. You're gonna go to the the whole world. Starts here and take it to the world. In verse nine, it says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Which can you imagine that moment? <laughs> like they're standing there like, yep, he really left us. <laughs> he gone. <laughs> Says the angel came and uh, said, hey, why are you gazing up into heaven? Which I feel like a fair response would have been because Jesus just ascended into heaven. This is crazy, right? <laughs> But it says, Jesus ascended, just like he said he would. Shouldn't have been a surprise, right? It says the disciples did what we should all do when we're not sure what the next step is. It says they went back and they devoted themselves to prayer, verse 14. Then after that, they had to reply, excuse me, find a replacement for Judah, because as you know, not Judas, ah, sorry. They had to find a replacement for Judas, because as you know, things with Judas didn't turn out so hot, right? And so they had to find a replacement for him. And they kept praying. And then a few days after that, just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit fell on the believers. So it means that those who had placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they had seen what he had done, that he had died and risen again for salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins. That means that the Holy Spirit came and indwelt them. How cool was that? We take that for granted. For the first time it happened at Pentecost. And it got a little crazy. They began to speak in tongues. Now it's not like gibberish, purposeless tongues. It says that there were other, there were Jews that were living in Jerusalem that were from all parts of the earth, from all these different nations. And when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers, they began to speak in tongues. It says that these other people who weren't believers were going, hey, I know they're from, these people are from Galilee, but somehow I'm hearing them speak in my own language. I'm hearing them talk about Jesus in my own language. It says that the the believers, as the Spirit was falling on them, they were proclaiming the mighty works of God, which I think because of the context, it's safe to say or assume that they were talking about who Jesus was and how good he is. (laughs) Now things were, it it was a crazy moment. So some people are looking at it from a distance and going, what is, what is that racket over there? All these people are speaking different languages. Like it says that some people even asked, I love the honesty of the Bible. Some people even asked, are they drunk? <laughs> What's going on over there? Are they drunk? So Peter got up and he said, hey, look, again, speaking to thousands. He said, we're not drunk. <laughs> What's happened is what the 
prophet Joel, this is in Acts chapter two, what ha- what's happening is what the prophet Joel said would happen, what he prophesied. The Holy Spirit has come. He said, hey, look, and this is where he gets bold. Peter's talking to this crowd and he said, you crucified Jesus. But listen, Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) And he said, Jesus is, is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is our leader. And Jesus, though you crucified him, though you killed him, he rose from the dead and he offers you forgiveness and hope and love and mercy. If you'll just turn to him. I love uh, in like verses 38 through 40, it says, doesn't matter how far away from him you are, you can come to him if you'll just turn to him, just repent from your sins. It's a pretty bold sermon in the middle of, the, of Jerusalem, right? <laughs> when they had just killed Jesus. And you know what it says happened that day? If you look at the end of chapter two, verse 41, 3,000 people were saved that day. That's not a bad invitation. (laughs) That's not a bad day. Now, remind me, who was it that was preaching this sermon? Peter. The same Peter that just literally a few weeks before had cowered in shame when Jesus was arrested. I don't know him. I have nothing to do with that man. I don't know him. And now he's preaching the gospel to thousands, though it could cost him his life. What in the world happened? I'll tell you what happened. Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out his purpose as a witness for Jesus. Powerful things happen when the Holy Spirit starts using God's people. The Holy Spirit turns cowards into courageous gospel proclaimers, amen? What might happen with you and with me, with Lubbock, with the world, if we embraced our purpose as witnesses for Christ and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit? I don't know if 3,000 people will get saved. That'd be awesome. (laughs) But I know that the place you work might start looking a little different. I know the places we live might start looking a little different. The people you hang out with might start looking a little different because Jesus is still in the life-changing, life-saving business. Even in 2019, (laughs) on the other side of the world, but he wants to use us as witnesses. Y'all, we have purpose and we have power. Let's start living like it. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.